Welcome, y'all, to the Nuga Bell Show, a podcast all about stories of the South straight from the sources. I'm your host, Kate Robertson, the Southern food and lifestyle blogger behind athoughtandahalf.com, based in the scenic city of Chattanooga, Tennessee. The Nuga Bell Show is a place where people from all walks of life can share their stories of life in the South as they have lived, seen, and experienced it. So pour yourself a glass of sweet tea or a cup of coffee and enjoy this episode of the Nuga Bell Show. Hey y'all, welcome back to the Nuga Bell podcast. This is episode 12 and I am here with musician, composer, and wine enthusiast, Tim Hink. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So tell us about your experiences in Chattanooga. Are you from here? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much born and raised. I was born in a little tiny town called Jellicoe, Tennessee, which is on the border uh, with Kentucky, actually. But we moved here when I was quite young, so I, I feel like this is home. Yeah, uh, high school, college here, the whole thing. Right, right, yep. exactly. Yeah, I did my undergraduate work here and then went away for grad school, but um, came back. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people I know um, move away and come back. Yeah. Yeah, gets in your blood a, real fast. It, it does. It's an amazing place. <laughs> so tell us about your history with music. Yeah, I can't actually remember a time before I was playing the piano. I, I started when I was, I guess, about five years old. And evidently, I begged my mom for lessons. And she she uh, relented finally and um, been playing ever since. I don't remember that, of course. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess while I was growing up, I kind of explored violin and um, some other things uh, musically for a while, but piano has always been the constant and mm-hmm. I've always kept coming back to the piano. Yeah, piano was the one instrument that I wished I could have played, but yeah. I did not. Yeah. <laughs> I started too late. Gotcha. Yeah, it's, it's, a great, it's, it's a great introduction to music in general. Mm-hmm. It's a good way to understand music theory and um, it, it's a really good overview. And it's probably because of piano that I started writing music, you know, because you're already thinking about the way music's put together mm-hmm. and the way it looks on a, on a piece of paper. So that's probably what got me down down that road. To when did you with. start composing? Lucky enough, I had a teacher, my very first piano teacher actually started me writing music. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, right from the beginning. So um, that was kind of her philosophy that, that if the student was interested, that they should totally be encouraged to write music. And that was really, you know, life-shaping for me. Do you remember the first piece of music you wrote? I don't, but I have a lot of it. (laughs) (laughs) There are stacks of of music at my mother's house somewhere that I wrote when I was really little. What other instruments did you experiment with? Well, mostly violin, mostly stringed instruments, violin, guitar to some extent, but, um, and you know, really those kind of gave me um, kind of this this interest in um, broad looks at things, and I think that's probably informed a large part of, of my art and my outlook on life right now you know it's just kind of this um, finding ways to bring disparate sort of things together you know and that, that's kind of how it always was with music I was writing I was playing several instruments and, and always interested in, in how I could um, combine so um, that's something that stuck with me I think. What were your favorite composers growing up? Boy I, I really liked kind of very dissonant odd 20th century music like I was, <laughs> I was really into um, 
you know, Bartok and Stravinsky and, and still am. Those oh, are still Stravinsky. some of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. So the very, very um, kind of angular, dissonant, sort of sometimes angry sounding music. That was kind of the music that I, well, and of course I, I grew up in the 90s, right? So I was kind of a, um, a an angry, uh, <laughs> an angry music kid, you know? <laughs> that was the thing. <laughs> yeah, Stravinsky fits well. Right, exactly. <laughs> I remember I played violin growing up uh-huh. and the symphony I played it in high school, the first semester I played with them because it was a county yeah. symphony, not through like my high school or anything. We played the Firebird Suite my oh, yeah. first yeah. semester. Wow. And Welcome to music. Huh? Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was, we did Firebird, Beethoven's Egmont Overture, uh-huh. um, Chike 4, uh-huh. the finale, the da, oh, wow. da, da, oh my gosh. Yeah. I still yeah. have PTSD from that. <laughs> and I was like 16. Yeah, those are intense pieces. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> Dove head first in, but I was absolutely. always a Mozart girl. Oh yeah, yeah, me too. One of my favorites, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you studied abroad for grad school. I did, yeah. I ended up at, at a school that was kind of connected to where I did undergraduate work. So I did my, um, my music degree, my first music degree at Southern Adventist University here um, in the Chattanooga area. Um, because they had a really good teacher of early music and I was really in- into historical music at the time. And um, because of that teacher's connections and that school's close connections to um, the schools of the Netherlands, I went to the Netherlands for, for my uh, graduate work. Um, I applied for and, and got a Fulbright fellowship to go and ended up staying an extra year and a half to finish the degree. But wow. really kind of, um, I guess you could say that was probably one of the most important points of my life because that's where I discovered um, really, really good wine um, and got really kind of um, nerdy about wine and, you know, also rediscovered my passion for writing music, for composing. And both of those are, are, have been my main focuses since I've, since I've been back mm-hmm. now, boy, almost uh, more than 10 years, so almost 12 years now. So um, it's been really a, a decade of, of diving down that rabbit hole, you know, since, mm-hmm. I, since I've come back. When you look back on your time in the Netherlands, are there any experiences that like stand out as like huge turning points or was it all just kind of one big turning point itself? You know, I, it was the first time that I, that I'd lived totally on my own, like not in a dorm or not with family or friends. Um, so that, those kind of experiences are always kind of life shattering, you know, for, oh, yeah. for a young person. Um, but also that was just it just happened to be kind of the perfect place for me as far as um the lifestyle and the um kind of the world view that a lot of that a lot of dutch people have and and this kind of appreciation for art the strong ingrained appreciation for art and culture but yet this very um, kind of carefree, uh, forward-thinking liberalism that always is looking for new ways to do things, new technology, um, new architecture, and that that combination is something that I think I really grabbed onto and really adopted. Um, that's kind of how I approach writing music and creating wine lists and everything is, I love that combination of what's very, very new and appreciating and honoring what is traditional and and very old at mm-hmm. the same time. So you mentioned wine, speaking mm-hmm. of. Tell us about the Chattanooga Tasting Club. How did yeah. that come to be? Yeah, so it, it's a it's a weird thing because um, it kind of developed on its own, which like all wonderful things tend mm-hmm. to do. And um, I, uh, I had been working at 
DeBarge Winery here in town, um, the, the only winery around. And so I wanted to kind of get into the, the process and learn the process of winemaking and, and, and get a little bit more into the industry. Um, the wonderful community that is built around, that was built around um, that particular winery and just the, the amazing people that I met led to some private tasting groups and, um, and some kind of more focused educational tastings. And of course, I was kind of interested in keeping that up even when DeBarge Winery closed. And um, everyone would say, you know, hey, you're doing these tastings. Um, how can we find out when they're going to happen? And so it just kind of grew. We said, well, we'll put them online. And, you know, a year later, we've got uh, 30 and 40 people coming together at a time to do tastings at, at restaurants around town. And um, so it's, it's still kind of a grassroots little private community of wine tasters, but it's definitely grown to include so many more people than I would have imagined in mm -hmm. Chattanooga. So many people that are interested in learning about wines more deeply. Mm -hmm. And as someone who at the time that the club started wasn't super savvy on wine, I mean, I was buying like $9 bottles at the grocery mm -hmm. store. Right. For someone who like wasn't a wine aficionado, mm -hmm. it was still super easy to come and you made wine very approachable awesome. for like the new Good. people. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the point, especially in a, in a place like Chattanooga where um, where the, the wine culture is rather new, it's all about education mm -hmm. and, and demystifying and making sure that people don't feel that it's snobby or elitist. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's an important, an important aspect, yes. I think. And speaking of wine, Tim's got a couple that we're sipping on. Yeah, yeah. So we're. Um, I'm gonna pour a couple of wines today. Um, I wanted to. I wanted to show you some of the wines that I'm really excited about lately, mm -hmm. and um, also some things that are kind of more obscure, which is kind of my. My mission in life is to pour <laughs> obscure wines for people. Not a bad um, mission. One of them is not obscure at all, um, but it, it is um, something you may, may not have ever tried um, by itself. So I'm going to pour a little vermouth for you. And um, interesting thing about vermouth is, um, you know, everyone, everyone drinks vermouth. Um, That's what's martinis, in martinis, yeah. Right? And, and usually it's used as a flavoring agent, basically, in a cocktail or um, combined with something else. Um, but, uh, and unfortunately in the States, there are so many vermouths and also um, kind of aperitivo style wines, um, you know, Italian liqueurs in, in particular, that we don't even get here. And this is luckily one of the few that we do that's a very, very high quality. And you can find this um, now in most wine and liquor stores. Um, and it's, it's a vermouth, which basically just means that it's um, a wine-based um, liqueur or ap aperitivo. Okay. So it's, um, vermouth is, um, you can actually see this label you were, you were commenting on earlier, um, it's a really ancient-looking label, and it's actually, yes, a replica of the original label. So you can see mm -hmm. 1786 on the label there. I'll take and, a picture um, of this and post it on the Nougabelle Instagram page so y'all can see it because it is gorgeous. Yeah, this is a, a very classic style of, of vermouth made by uh, Gi Giuseppe Carpano. So it's called Carpano Antica. And um, Giuseppe Carpano is one of the guys kind of responsible for why we call why we call this stuff vermouth. So it comes actually for the, the German word for wormwort, which is ver, vermouth. And <laughs> so the, the Italians, uh, then this, these guys called it vermouth. Um, it's uh, basically an, an aromatized wine-based digestive or aperitivo of vermouth. And it's, this one is, of course, like, like many of these um, kind of herb infused and aromatized things. There's so many ingredients in these um, in, in these that it's almost impossible to um, for everybody to taste the same thing, uh -huh. which is kind of fun for yeah. tastings. Um, and like I said, most of us just use it as a as a mixer, but um, I've actually 
gotten into drinking these these kind of iron vermouths um, just by themselves over some oh. ice. And there actually are a lot of uh, bars in Europe, particularly Spain and Italy, where they serve them that way. Get some ice real quick. Um, so many bars that you that you go into will um, will actually just serve actually just serve these um, just like this over ice. It looks like dark tea. It really does, yeah. And most, and, it's, and once you get into these, and then Amaro's are very similar. They're almost, many of them are mostly almost red, orangey kind of red. So we're just gonna do it here over ice, real simple, so that you can really taste the flavors. You'll really be able to see the, the color now. These. Um, the flavors of these are incredible, and they're they're not at all like the cheaper vermouths that we use for making martinis. Often, they're those are um, very cloying and sticky and syrupy. This will be pretty sweet, but. Um, the aftertaste is actually pretty dry, oh, okay. you know, and um, and the, the, the flavors and aromas in these are crazy. They range from toffee and caramel to vanilla to Coca-Cola to um, coffee, um, heavy citrus, heavy orange. I'm getting a little bit of licorice on the Absolutely. Nose. Anise, Cinnamon, licorice. anise, yeah, absolutely. So many spices. But again, with a really clean finish, so mm -hmm. really refreshing. Ooh, that doesn't taste anything like it smells. No, it's very clean, not too sweet actually. Mm -mm. Um, I see how this fits really well in martinis now. Yeah, I'm not a martini yeah. drinker, so right. I would have not known. <laughs> right, and this is um, a little bit more flavorful than many of the kind of cheaper mm -hmm. um, vermouths that you would use for that. So it's a little bit more of a um, sipping sipping vermouth mm -hmm. by itself. I'm enjoying this a lot more than I thought I would. These are super nice right before dinner. Just kind of like, you know, kind of uh, get your, your hunger up there. Get oh, your, yeah. Your mouth salivating. And these are delicious, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. Um, so you can get this and, and several others that are, um, that are and, and they're not super expensive. I mean, this is a pretty big bottle here, and it's, it's about $35, oh, something wow. like that. And um, that's about the range of more, some of the, you know, the more expensive Mm -hmm. um, I would have pegged that closer to 50. Right, right. It's just so, and it'll last such a long time. You just drink a little bit. And mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that. You're little, not going to blow through a bottle. That taste was all we needed. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, Don't worry, I'm taking pictures of all of this so y'all can see it too. <laughs> and then the second wine is also kind of unusual. Um, so, uh, Greco de Tufo. Greco de Tufo is um, a white wine from Italy. And it comes from a region that's that we don't often drink a lot of wine from. So this mm -hmm. is um, down by the, um, if you're thinking of Italy as a boot, then it'd be like the shin okay. of the boot. So kind of on the western coast of Italy. And um, it's a grape that they think is um, Greek in origin. Mm -hmm. um, hard to tell after World War II, a lot of the Greco de Tufo vines died out and were neglected and almost went extinct in, in Italy, like many did actually. And um, 
it was just because of thanks to really small family wineries that kind of kept these alive in very small plots. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, now with the resurgence in wine and, and the interest in wine, a lot of these older ancient vines are getting you know mm-hmm. revived. Thank so goodness. luckily, yeah, yeah. Luckily, this one got ooh um, that color. Yes, it's actually super dark, which is for really nice. white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a dark golden color. Kind of like not quite as golden as honey, mm-hmm. but, but, but getting there. Yeah. yeah, this is a, a a grape that you can start to find more of now in the states. It used to be really really hard to find. Um, like this one I got at Riverside, um, and they have um, I think they have might even have two Greco de Tufo. So Greco de Tufo again is the grape, the name of the grape. Um, the winemaker on this is Ciro Picariello, Picariello, P I C A R I E L L O. And um, it's, uh, they, they make several different kinds of, of wines with different grapes, but this is their Greco de Tufo, made with mm-hmm. Greco de Tufo grapes. And this is a really good wine that would um, appeal to someone who is used to just drinking um, Pinot Grigios mm-hmm. or even Sauvignon Blanc like we were drinking earlier mm-hmm. um, because they're, you know, it's a kind of a refreshing, acidic, mm-hmm. zesty kind of white. I get but, the zest. Yeah, but this one's, I think this is so much more um, interesting aroma than just a, mm-hmm. than a simple... Um, Pinot Grigio or something like that. It's a lot more intense. I can't remember the last time I had a white wine. I'm so stuck on red. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, this time of year, every now and then, it's nice to have something chilled a little bit. So you're going to hate me for this, but I got stuck on Aldi's Rosé. Uh-huh. Hey, that's that's not bad. It's not a bad thing. It's (laughs) award-winning, apparently. Yeah. And I just bought my second bottle the other day, so... (laughs) Yeah, sometimes the... um, uh, luckily now for us, a lot of the, you know, we, you know, stuff that you can get in a, even in a grocery store is, um, the quality is going up and that's really thanks mm-hmm. to how um, much the industry has grown in the last oh, yeah. 10 years, you know? And for eight bucks, it's pretty good wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can get, now that's kind of where the, the golden price range is mm-hmm. right now is that 10 ish, 10 ish dollars a, a bottle is, mm-hmm. is, can, is a, quite a quality, uh, range now, whereas, yeah before it didn't used to be. Yeah. So Tim's also got this beautiful little cheese board here. Um, what kind of cheeses have you put out? So um, this one is obviously, uh, so we've got like a blue cheese, like a, a funkier cheese. And then this one, let's see if I can pull up the, um, the label. It was called. I love cheese, y'all. <laughs> I was telling Tim earlier, cheese is like a main food group. <laughs> Oh, shoot, I may have thrown, it, thrown out the, the label, but it's, um, if I can remember what he told me about. So this, this all comes from Blue Fox Cheese. Oh, I love that place. Yep. Oh, great guys. And um, so uh, Chris was telling me um, about this cheese that they, they recently got. And it's from Vermont, and it's, um, it's an Alpine-style cheese mm-hmm. made here in the States. I really like it. It's, like, really nutty. and mm-hmm. I can't remember the, act, the exact name of the cheese, but... Um, it's really nice. It's really thick. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not real soft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it goes great with this... Um, yeah, this, absolutely. I'm, Greco de Tufo. Yeah, yes, I've sure. already blanked on yeah. that. No, that's right. It's a great combo. So, yeah, I, I think that, like, wines like this are, are really nice because they, they're they kind of familiar in mm-hmm. some ways, um, but then they have kind of 
kind of odd curveballs that they throw at you, which is really nice. And that's kind of the fun of, of drinking wine because once, just as soon as you get used to something and something becomes familiar, there's something else that's similar, but mm -hmm. will take you in a totally different direction. So it's always chasing after something that's a little bit different, mm -hmm. you know, which is exciting. Oh my goodness, I love cheese. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I popped that back in the fridge because it was, it could be a, a few degrees cooler. And then you've got a wedge of brie here. Mm -hmm. And brie yep. is my favorite cheese, so this makes me yeah. very happy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna some brie. Dig right into this. Um, and then these crackers also came from Blue Fox. Blue Fox is really awesome. Mm -hmm. Actually, the salami came from Blue Fox as well. Mm -hmm. So it's one of his, one of them is um, Main Street Meats, and another is imported, and I can't remember who it is. Or not, it's mm -hmm. not imported, but not, um, not made in town. Right, they're doing some really cool stuff there. They did, um, I guess last month, about a month and a half ago, they did a Girl Scout cookies and cheese pairing. Oh, nice. It was I missed that. phenomenal. That's great. <laughs> That's I loved awesome. it. My friend and I went and they had like a blue cheese, like a really sharp blue mm -hmm. cheese paired with Thin Mints. Oh, wow. And That's it was awesome. one of those things that when they were describing it, my friend and I were like, nah, you guys are crazy. Uh -huh, and then uh -huh. we, we ate it and we were like, nope, you're, you're actually, nope, <laughs> that was great. They had, it wasn't a brie, but it was a soft cheese-like mm -hmm. brie that they paired with Samoas. Mm. And I usually don't like Samoas because I don't like coconut. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. that cheese, it, it had just the right, like, flavor combo, that creaminess, that mm. balanced out, the, like, saltiness. That was, right, oh my right. goodness. Wow, wow. It was great. That's awesome. <sighs> Shifting gears a little bit. We're going to keep sipping on some wine and eating some cheese. But we're going to play with my jar. So, um, like I said earlier, this is my jar. It's filled with little conversation starters, fun questions, and we can each draw a couple okay. and talk about them. Yeah, And we cool. can each answer whatever we have okay. the other draw. Right. So, I'll go first. <laughs> white slaw or red slaw? Definitely white. Oh, 1,000%. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no place for red slaw. <laughs> I don't like really anything super vinegary. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I, I um. And I, I guess the only place I really eat slaw lately is like on bar like barbecue sandwiches mm -hmm, or um, or like uh, fried fish sandwiches. Yep. Um, that's just like one of my huge guilty pleasures. Mm -hmm. It's like a um, kind of that hot fish style yep. sandwich. And you, you know? need the creaminess of the slaw to balance yeah. out the flavors in exactly. the pork and or whatever barbecue you're eating. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. So should I draw? Yep. All right. Here we go. Uh, let's see. You can't have brunch without. Hmm. That's that is a good question because um, I don't. I'm not a huge fan of a, of a lot of the things that brunch usually involves. Oh. You know. So like, I'm not a huge mimosa fan. Mm -hmm. Um. Wow. That's a that's a really good question. For me, I think you can't have brunch without something without something sweet. Like I see a lot of people go into brunch and they're basically just having lunch. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> come on, where's the croissant or where's the, the, uh, the pancakes or the waffle? You gotta mm -hmm. have something sweet, I think. Yeah. To, to call it brunch. For <laughs> me, you? you can't have brunch without a biscuit. Oh yeah. Good call. Whether good call. if you put butter and jam on right. it to get the sweet or mm -hmm. if you smother it in sausage gravy, mm -hmm. you need a biscuit with your brunch. That's, that's a good call, especially around here. And mm -hmm. man, we've got good biscuits in town. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. Where's your favorite place for a biscuit? Wow. So lately we've been going to Tucson's a lot. Mm -hmm. um, just, in, you know, it's, they have great biscuits, but then what they put on those biscuits mm -hmm. is just like phenomenal. <laughs> I mean, even just their biscuits and gravy are, mm -hmm. are just... Their gravy really super creamy. Yeah. The yeah. first time really. I had it, I was like, whoa. Yeah. 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 But uh, let's see. Where else? Good biscuits in town. What are, your, what are yours? Um, I like bluegrass a lot. Uh-huh. Bluegrass is good. Yeah. Um, Flying Squirrel has good biscuits. Mm, yeah. I haven't been there in a long time, though. Yep. Um, my heart forever belongs to Feed Co. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, their biscuits and gravy is good. I don't think I've had their biscuits and gravy. It's quite I good. I need to try that. Cool. And yeah. I had it somewhere else lately, and I can't remember. I'm drawing a blank. Yeah. But biscuits and gravy is my... Yeah. I go yeah. through phases where I have certain food obsessions. Uh-huh. And I've been on a biscuits and gravy kick for the last, like, three months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have not figured out how to make gravy at home yet. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. not that hard conceptually. I just haven't gotten it right yet. I'm with you. I think I haven't figured out the shortcut because whenever I've done it, it just involves stirring something in a pan for, like, an hour. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually and I don't often have time for that. <laughs> Yeah, it's been super humid lately. Let's see if that's a little better. I straightened my hair this morning and I walked out of my apartment and it just curled <laughs> immediately and I was like, why did I even try? So I did the, uh, I ran, this is actually something we didn't talk, plan to talk about, but um, I've been really into running lately mm. and um, ran the uh, Chattanooga Chase a couple days ago mm -hmm. and um, it was my first year running it and I had nothing really to compare it to and Everyone was saying, wow, this one, this year was so hard because that was the morning that it didn't rain immediately, but it was all of that pent-up humidity, all of that moisture was in the air the entire race. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we got done, of course, the mm -hmm. sky falls. It's like you can it, feel it coming. Yep. And the temperature drops as soon as we're done. But the entire oh, yeah. race was, was extremely... Uh, Extremely hard to breathe. <laughs> yeah. I had big plans to like go outside and go hiking and have like a little picnic over a campfire on Memorial Day and didn't nope, have yeah. nope. Yeah. My friend and I went out to where we were planning to hike and we tried for about twenty minutes and we were just like, Nope. Right. Not today. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah, not fun. The weather has not cooperated with no. unfortunately. Alright, I'm gonna draw another one. Alright. I got this other blue one here. One southern city I'm just dying to explore mm. is. I might have talked about this one on, on another one, but I'm going to name a couple different cities. So Charleston, mm -hmm. because I'm obsessed with pineapples, mm -hmm. and they have that big pineapple fountain, and I have this dream of taking like a thousand pictures in front of it. Yeah. Um, I would like to go back to Savannah, because mm -hmm. the last time I was there, I was not old enough to appreciate it. <laughs> and... As weird as it might sound, I would like to go and check out like Birmingham or Huntsville mm -hmm. because Birmingham's awesome. Again, right. like the last time I was there, I was in like elementary school, yeah. and their food scenes are mm -hmm. blowing up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I see like other people that I follow on social media posting all about these great meals and drinks that they have, and I'm like, oh, that's in <laughs> Huntsville, right? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like our, I feel like our um, our answers will be very complimentary because I feel like you've been to to the city that I'm going to say a lot and I feel like and I and we've very recently been to both Charleston and Savannah mm -hmm. um, Garrett and I 
Um, so mine would be New Orleans. Oh, New Orleans. Yeah. I would I, love to go back there. I've only been once and it was for a day and that was the... Same. <laughs> was it? Okay. I was there for 36 <laughs> we, we hours. Yeah, yeah. I went down last year for a CFC match uh-huh. and I was there for 36 hours. Wow. And wow. I want to go back. Yeah, yeah. Same for the food and, mm-hmm. and, and well, and the cocktails and just, I mean, talk about a, a slice of um, history for, for American mm-hmm. beverage that... We don't often have that kind of history oh my in the gosh. States, so that's very special. Actually, fun story. When we were there, the group that I went down with, there were a couple guys who grew up in Mississippi, mm-hmm. so they grew up going to New Orleans for a vacation, and just, oh yeah, it was the next biggest city, so that's where they went, and we were having beignets during the afternoon, and the waitress at the cafe that we were at, uh, one of us was wearing a CFC jersey or a yeah. CFC t-shirt or something, and she said, oh, Chattanooga, my family uh, stayed there when the hurricane hit, and everyone oh, there was right. so nice, and it, they just made us feel like home, and you know, some people have stayed there, and right. got, we just don't have enough good things to say about Chattanooga, and it was just such a moment that I'm sitting there with a beignet and an iced <laughs> coffee, like, trying not to cry. Wow, wow, that's, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, did, I did run into quite a few people who were displaced by the by the hurricane mm-hmm. that, uh, i remember that now yeah that's how uh, blue orleans opened up right right mm-hmm. right that's right yeah i, I remember hearing that hmm. yeah it's fascinating should i do one more yeah all right let me see i'm gonna do this green one here let's see um the one movie or book i'll never get tired of is Ooh, this is this is a good one the one movie or book i guess um I, I mean, I would have to say movie, it's probably Apocalypse Now. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, that one's, that's, that's, a, that's an epic. It's, <laughs> it's an endeavor. <laughs> and it's, it's not always easy to watch, but it is one of the most beautiful, beautifully shot. Um, mm-hmm. That's what kind of jumps to mind for me. Um, book, boy, that's, that's hard. I, I, so I really, what I really like about books is I like reading new books and I don't have a lot of time mm-hmm. to do that. Um, so I usually get to like two or three a year. It's terrible. Same. I'm really slow reader. Um, in fact, there, there are probably two or three I'm, I'm working on right now. I'm working on um, a Murakami book um, that's really good. Um, and then I think for me it's about exploring new things mm-hmm. with books. Um, whereas I'm kind of the opposite with movies. I like um, exploring old things and I, I kind of hold on to classics yep. movies because I'm very visual yes um, but books it's always about new recommendations mm-hmm. I, my, my favorite thing is to get book recommendations from friends and nice. say you gotta read this you know mm-hmm. and so obviously my Amazon is full of oh same <laughs> <laughs> full of books that I will never read same for <laughs> me uh, movie wise I actually said this in my last episode but mm-hmm. I'm gonna say it again and add another one uh-huh. The Sound of Music uh-huh. Far and Away uh huh um, lately I've been on a Marvel kick. Oh yeah. I've been cool. watching all the Marvel movies yep. leading up to Infinity War. Yep. I finally saw Infinity War this weekend. Okay. What'd you think? Uh, still have not processed it. Okay. <laughs> I was like emotionally overwhelmed for about an hour afterwards. Right, right. Um, but as far as the Marvel series itself, mm-hmm. I have the biggest crush on Captain America. Oh yeah. Yeah. So Winter Soldier was uh-huh. the movie that just absolutely captivated you. me. <laughs> yeah. Like I just watched it and I was like, nope, I, I can't, I can't stop. I have to watch the rest of right, them. Right. So I'd say Winter Soldier is one that I've been watching a lot lately. That and Civil War. Uh-huh. Civil War is another uh-huh. great one. Books. I absolutely loved 
role doll growing up. Oh, yeah. So Matilda, yeah. I yeah, read for sure. upwards of 20 to 30 times yep. growing up. Just because it's such a cute story. Yeah. I just loved it. Recently, I got on a Cheryl Strayed kick. Oh, cool. And her book, yeah. Tiny Beautiful Things. Yeah, is, I haven't read that yet. Cool. It's a great book. It's a collection of letters from her advice column. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. she actually has a podcast now mm -hmm. that is also in the same style. It's like okay. advice and yeah, letters and yeah. stuff like that. Cool. cool. Um, the podcast is great. Out. It's called Dear Sugars. Okay. And it's her and a co-host in the book, Tiny Beautiful Things. Awesome. So, Shout out to them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. I, I love planes. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. So, if you have any questions or topics that you would like discussed, leave it in a review or tweet it at me, and I'll add it to the jar. Yeah. All right. We'll keep drinking. Cheers. Oh yeah. Uh, so we've been sipping on some Italian wines. You spent a lot of time in Italy. Was it last year or earlier this year? Let's see. It, that was in. 2017 so that's already been a year ago wow wow yeah, yeah. and it was uh, a kind of a wine trip but it was also um uh, a honeymoon for, mm -hmm. for me and my husband garrett so um we went to france and italy mm -hmm. and france was all about seeing s historical sites and right. you know looking at architecture looking at art and you know um running through the Louvre as fast as possible yep. to see everything. <laughs> it was that kind of a trip. And then when we got to Italy, everything just instantly slowed down. And um, the slowdown actually started when we, we took two days um, in Lyon on our way down. We actually took trains down and went kind of slowly down into mm -hmm. into Italy. And we paused in Lyon, which is, um, I'm sure your your listeners know, is is the true gastronomic capital of France and it is where so many of the um, great culinary uh, chefs and inventions have come out of, of, yes. of Lyon. So just to be there and to just to, to go into to tiny little, uh, you know, tiny, tiny little places, little restaurants and little bars and, and, and just sit with the locals mm -hmm. was really awesome. All the bread and cheese you could handle. Oh man, yeah. Uh, I, yeah I think the worst part about France is... Um, and I say, you know, worse in a, <laughs> in kind of a, a obviously sarcastic way, but um, was was that the dessert course is, is the cheese. Because cheese is my favorite, one of my favorite parts about French cuisine. And then, of course, they bring it to you when you're so full you can't eat yes. another bite. <laughs> <laughs> that and, like, chocolate mousse and yeah. <laughs> all of that kind of stuff. Yep. All the things that you want to eat when you're full. Yeah, <laughs> or absolutely. Or try to eat when you're full. So then we pop, finally popped down to Italy, and it, Italy was um, a, a really exciting trip for me because that was more the wine portion of the mm -hmm. trip. And um, if any of if, if any of your listeners haven't been um, to northern Italy, um, or if they have been, they've probably been to Florence. Just a little bit further north um, is the Piedmont, which is really uh, a, a wine capital for for Italy, and um, that's where the the famous um, regions of Barolo and mm -hmm. Barbaresco are, and so there's a lot of really famous wines um, that come out of that region. But it's also, like many of these wine regions, just a beautiful place to visit, and um, that's what makes things like, you know, that that like we like cuisine and wine and um, um, and certain little aspects of the art culture. That's what makes those things so special. Is it they really take you to places that you never would go, you know, as as a regular tourist, and so. Um, you're going to, to tiny little villages and um, 
you're going for a purpose, mm -hmm. you know, to try the specific wine, and it's um, it just makes it really fun. It's like a almost like a scavenger hunt um, with a huge educational component mm -hmm. built in, you know, and um, so it was really fantastic. We mm -hmm. spent a week down there and drank a bunch of wine. Oh yeah, <laughs> heavier on the red or white wine. So um, on that trip, we drank mostly red wines um, because the areas we were going to. Um, they well it was it was also very cold when we were there mm -hmm. so that that of course kind of played towards the red wine but also we were poured we were just being poured a lot of red wine so yeah. uh, i would say though that i i probably drink more white wine than red mm -hmm. um in general and um it's just because the regions that i'm interested in right now tend to be white wine regions okay you know so the, the loire valley of france while they have a lot of amazing reds the whites are maybe the first thing that you think of when you think of the Loire. Um, areas like Sancerre and um, the amazing, you know, Puy Fumé and the amazing um, uh, Chenin Blancs that, that come from that region. They're Ooh, so Chenin like, Blancs are so yeah, good. Amazing. And, and that's the, the land of Chenin Blanc there. Mm -hmm. you know, so, um, and a lot of the newer wine regions are doing the things that they're innovating in are um, so many whites. So you have a lot of, uh, even in the United States, a lot of kind of innovation and in bringing back old lost vines and a lot of those are white wine varietals I would mm -hmm. say surprisingly pretty much equal to the reds mm -hmm. so um uh yeah whites and rosés so really where I'm at right as now. I mentioned I'm on a rosé kick right yeah, now <laughs> yeah exactly it's summer you have to be it's hard to drink red wine in the summer right right well and, and a lot of the rosés have just landed in the states so um yeah if if any of your listeners are excited about rosés this is the the time when uh, we're getting hit with a lot of rosés, the, mm -hmm. the big shipments that are coming in from particularly France, and um, so keep an eye out at your at your local wine shops and, and ask them about what's new because that's awesome. it's really this is this is the one time of year where we get mm -hmm. all that stuff shipped to us at once. Where do you get your wine in town? Mm. You mentioned Riverside earlier. Yep. Anywhere um, else? Yeah. So it's pretty much um, there. There are there are a lot, a lot of places where you can get wine now, which is so wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, like you mentioned, even just grocery stores, you can find some really nice bottles of wine. And we can get it on Sunday now. Exactly, exactly. So that's that's like huge, huge for us. Um, so Imbibe Wine Shop on, on Broad Street um, has uh, such an incredible selection of wine, particularly their um, their champagne selection mm -hmm. is really, really nice. Um, that's they, not something I buy super often, but that's right. good to know. Yeah, me either. It's it's expensive, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you either have Andre or like super bougie. <laughs> well, you know, now that there are so many nice in-between champagnes, so um, now they're, thanks to places like Imbibe and Riverside, um, you can find a really stunning $20 bottle of bubbly. And it may not be authentic champagne, but it's it can be very delicious. Um, Prosecco, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation. Uh, Prosecco, we think of as kind of the sh cheap version of champagne, but there, you know, if you get Prosecco from the Veneto region of, of Italy, that is being made in exactly the same way as, as champagne in, in awesome. France is being made and is absolutely high quality like like real champagne and is much, much cheaper. Mm -hmm. So um, absolutely. And, and thanks to our amazing importers and distributors here in, in the States, they, you know, supply and demand. We're demanding better wines and they're, they're bringing them in. Mm -hmm. Do you have any like brands or labels of champagne or Prosecco that you would recommend? Yeah. So um, there are a whole group of champagnes that are kind of known right now as grower producer champagnes. So basically that means that the farmers themselves are making the wine. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of a new-ish trend or it's new that we're getting those in the States. 
um, because a lot of the champagnes that we think of as famous champagnes are made by big corporations, basically. Um, and so you cut down a lot of the cost by having the farmer themselves get into winemaking. And the other cool thing about that is they tend to be a little bit more experimental with their styles. So um, honestly, some of the most exciting champagnes that I've tried lately have been made by farmers. Oh, cool. Grower producer champagnes is what we call them. Um, if you go into a wine shop um, that's that knows their stuff and you ask them if they can show you some grower champagnes, grower producer champagnes, that's the stuff to buy. Awesome. Um, so they're, um, it, it just locally, we can get um, champagnes by a producer called um, Dono, mm -hmm. um, D-O-S-N-O-N. Um, and that's an amazing grower producer champagne that is uh, not that expensive. We're talking $45 for an amazing bottle of champagne. Awesome. You know? Um, so, you know, that's not cheap, but it's something that you could definitely, you mm -hmm. know, any of us could just grab on a special occasion yep. or if you're having a special dinner and it is better than your, um, your $300 bottle wow. of, of, you know, most <laughs> big <Dumb>. house champagnes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, that's what I would look for is grower, grower champagnes. Made awesome. By Good to yeah. know. Uh, so one last thing I wanted to talk about before we finish up here, uh, the Chattanooga tasting club, yeah. you've kind of used that as your like play space for wine and you're also doing a lot of really interesting things with your music. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about how those are fusions mm -hmm. of wine, music, and just yeah. your chance to experiment? Yeah. So again, about bringing all of these kind of diverse elements together, that's kind of my game and I, I love doing that and I love also offering unexpected things to audience mm -hmm. members. So it's kind of fun for me to do as a classical pianist to do a concert where in the middle of the concert, they may offer the audience something to drink or mm -hmm. a tea or um, a bite of something. And um, it can go anywhere from there to being a much more theatrically staged kind of event where it's almost like a sit down dinner. Mm -hmm. And there are pairings, like very careful pairings of sound and, um, and food and something to drink mm -hmm. and something to look at. Um, I've I been like, to a couple of those of yours. Right, right, yeah. So, so you'll remember. I, I like to use projections. I like to use visual elements. Um, but I like to I like to keep the pairings rather focused. So there's not. I don't like the idea of a of a carnival atmosphere where there's just too much going on yeah. at once. I kind of like to focus on a couple of things happening at once. Mm -hmm. um, but I just find that that a lot of people don't often think about the similarities between food mm -hmm. and art and painting and sound. And so just to kind of offer those things in the same space at the same time, mm -hmm. kind of force people to think about mm -hmm. those similarities and the commonalities that they might not think about. Mm -hmm. The one that stands out to me, it was, I think last February, you did an event with Holly, the concert mistress right. of the CSO, right. that was um, a concerto and then wine pairings mm -hmm. that matched with each movement of right. the concerto. Right. Yeah. And that was incredible. Yeah, and, and we're, we're obviously thinking of doing more of those because the response was, was really mm -hmm. positive. And, um, well, I mean, all of us love to eat, we love to drink, and we love to <laughs> listen to good music. So it's, it's in, a, in a way, a no-brainer. But again, it's I think it's being very careful about how it's presented so it doesn't seem like a hodgepodge. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's that's my goal. I'm always critiquing myself and trying to make things better and... and and if it can be focused and if the things have a purpose and they're not just mashed together, then I think they can be really powerful and, and 
strengthen each other, mm-hmm. you know, and not offer a bigger, richer experience. Right. Another one that sticks out to me, and I regret to this day that I missed this. I think I was out of town, but you did a tasting that was champagne and fried chicken. Yeah. How did you We've come up with that? We've done it twice now. Yeah, we, we did a second one that was it was really awesome. Also, uh, champagne and fried chicken is a kind of a insider wine nerd pairing that a lot of <laughs> a lot of um, a lot of sommeliers really um, talk about that pairing. That it's probably one of the most perfect wine and food pairings. Um, Champagne really enjoys salt and cham- as a pairing, and champagne also enjoys fried. Huh. So, like you put those things together, and um, and then of course uh, the fact that it's white meat mm-hmm. um, means that it doesn't overwhelm the wine, right? right? So it's like the perfect kind of meat, you know. Also, so it is really an amazing pairing that actually in many ways, even makes the champagne taste better. Yeah. Which is really cool. And there's so many places in Chattanooga to get good fried chicken. Exactly. You've got your selection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think y'all got it from Champies, right? We, we did the first one from Champies, um, which uh, turns out to be just like really, really perfect for champagne. It's, it's really funny. Because <laughs> <laughs> we poured some really expensive champagne and that it, it was just the, the perfect match to this. Oh, I love know, it. This down-home kind of fried chicken. And then we also have tried it with um, with a formerly known as Bolton's mm-hmm. uh, Flaming Rooster uh, hot chicken. Oh, okay. And, um, but we had, it was really fun and, and, and equally as good, but the Flaming Rooster chicken, we had to get kind of a mild spice level, of course, because yeah. if it gets too spicy, then it kind of conflicts with the, right. with the champagne. But mm-hmm. it, their, their mild was really perfect mm-hmm. with, with the champagne. I lied. One more thing. Yes. You mentioned sommelier. You have act, you're actually working on your sommelier certification. That's right. Yeah. So um, the SOM certification, it's kind of an interesting thing because it's mostly meant for, for people who are working in restaurants, mm-hmm. um, waiters, um, or people who are um, developing, creating the wine program at a restaurant. And so it's not really the best fit for someone like me who is not working in restaurants. Mm-hmm. However, um, the service the service aspect and the um, the research and the, the study aspect is really helpful for me. Um, so I did my level ones um, last year and then um, I'm, I'm kind of slowly studying uh, for my level twos. So yeah, for me it's kind of more of a, I would say it's kind of a hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like something that, I, that is for my own edification rather than a requirement because I don't work in a restaurant. But um, the Chattanooga Tasting Club has really evolved into something where I feel like um, I am, you know, uh, serving wine um, in, in a very similar way that I would in, in a restaurant setting, right. um, and and pouring some really nice wines and having to having to educate the um, the attendees on those wines. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very helpful. Yeah, come to think of it, I've only come across one like fully certified, like mm-hmm. past all however many mm-hmm. levels sommelier mm-hmm. in my life, and it was at a resort. Right. In North Georgia. Right. I, gosh, yeah. I wish I could remember his name. But yeah. he was there. He was there dedicated sommelier. Right. Like, that's right. all he did. Yeah, yeah. And that's usually what you'll do once, with, once you pass several levels of this. Um, uh, there, there are four levels. And um, once you get to level two or three, then you're, you're usually not just a waiter anymore. You're usually mm-hmm. um, directing a wine program. Right. Or, I think um, he was a level three. Uh-huh. Yeah, that yeah. would make sense. Uh, yeah, we've got a couple level twos in town. Um, shout out to uh, my wine mentor, uh, Michelle Richards, over at St. John's. So mm-hmm. she's um, uh, she's working on her level threes right now, and um, just an awesome wine educator and a wonderful person. And um, yeah, Jen Gregory also has her um, level twos, and there's there are a couple more I think. But um, 
those are the ones that are my friends. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So. Well, we're going to wrap this up here. Um, where can we find more information on the Tasting Club and any of your uh, concerts? Yeah, thanks. So um, my stuff that encompasses both wine and, and music and, and my compositional um, endeavors, that's all um, on social media. So it's Facebook uh, slash Tim Hink, T-I-M-H-I-N-C-K. And then also on Instagram at Tim Hink. And then, of course, Tasting Club is both also on Instagram and Facebook at CHA Tasting Club. Awesome. And I will throw those in the show notes for the episode. Tim, thank you so much for joining. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for, yeah. uh, for, for drinking wine with me today. Yeah, thanks for <laughs> pouring these wines. And oh, my pleasure. I promise I will post pictures of these on the Nougabelle Instagram page because y'all need to see these. Cheers. Awesome. Enjoy. Cheers. Absolutely. Yep. My glass is empty, but we'll cheers. <laughs> um, yeah, so this has been episode 12 of the Nougabelle podcast. Thank y'all so much for listening.